It all happened like I knew it would. A single drop of sauce. Flies to honey. The monsters swarmed. The rebel panicked. The carnage began. And the magisters pointed their fingers at me. Just as I'd planned. I was shackled and collared. And sent to Fort Joy. I'd come here to kill Godwoken. But instead, I became part of their story. Everyone and welcome back to the Foodie Dashi podcast. I am Nicholas, and I am here with the amazing Lauren. Lauren, say hi to the good people. Hi to the good people. <laughs> we didn't have to say exactly what I told you to say. Well, I had a feeling you were going to do that. Um, so today we wanted to. Well, first of all, I would like to remind everyone that um, in our previous two episodes, we had an amazing interview with the the duo that make up Square Weasel Studio. Um, and their wonderful game, The Remainder. If you have not checked out The Remainder, please go do so right now. Um, and, and then come back to the episode, please, because we want you to listen to the podcast as well. Um, but today, we wanted to go back to our sort of long-term discussion about tabletop games. Um, for some time now, Lauren and I have felt that we're a little too focused on video games, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned from tabletop games and tabletop gaming. And so in today's episode, at least in today's free episode, we want to focus on the social aspects of tabletop gaming and sort of the way that works into gameplay and mechanics and all of the fun things that you always come to us for. Does that sound like a good idea, Lauren? Should we do that? You know what? Actually, now that we've done this huge <laughs> intro, I just think that yeah, no. <laughs> everything that I, I said and agreed to at the beginning of this night. You uh, signed a contract. <laughs> you I did. <laughs> we're talking about this today. No, no. What, what Lord, sorry, go ahead. I, what, what I am just demonstrating right here is my absolute uh, imbalance in this podcast where I just have chaos in my entire life and I bring that, that onto the show. No. No. Incorrect. I. <laughs> I absolutely want to have been wanting to talk about this because I've been ruminating on when you look at multiplayer video games, right? And when you look at single player video games, a lot of yeah. people, right, have those two big categories. But honestly, yeah. like, how many people do you play your MMO with regularly versus like, do you just hop on, right? And you complete dailies or you pick play with people that you don't really know That's versus true, like yeah. in tabletop gaming, you always are playing with people, you know. And for me, that was like super compelling because 
or we alternatively, just, I would suggest you're getting to know people through, or you're getting well. to know people. Yeah. Actually, that's a great, yeah. that's a great thing. And that I always bring tabletop games if I don't know people, because it is yeah. kind of like an icebreaker because you're yeah. playing a game. And it's not like a weird icebreaker party game where it's like truth or dare, man versus woman. Like I actually yeah, yeah. remember playing those games as a kid. Like it was the adult versions of these games, right? Yeah, yeah. But they would like censor the cards or something so that the kids could play. Um, but I was at that weird age range where I was always older than all the young kids. Like I was yeah. 15 and everyone else was five, kind of that age range. Oh, like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's how much of an age gap there was. And so when we keep talking about tabletop games and we talk about the social aspect, that's what I think of for me is how you're really playing with either people you know or people you want to get to know. Yeah. And then when you look at multiplayer games online, you're playing with people that you may never meet again, right? Yeah, and it seems like – so this is a phenomenon that I I mean I've noticed for a long time, but sort of – I don't know. I recently started to think about, which is the fact that like – for whatever reason, online multiplayer seems to either encourage, facilitate, or at least tolerate behavior that if you engaged in that same behavior in like your real life, like somebody would probably punch you. Like, you know, saying things to people, like doing things to people that are really, I don't know, like in the abstract kind of horrendous. But you would never do that in real life. Like if you were in a, if you were in like, say, a multiplayer game situation, I mean, when you're playing games in person, it's not just that you're getting to know people or that, you know, you're playing with people, you know, because, you know, it's fairly common, especially for people who play like, you know, role playing games, you know, pen and paper role playing games. You'll probably have a regular group that you play with that you meet semi consistently. And so there. The other people in the sort of social situation are a known quantity, whereas you're right. Like every time you hop on to do, you know, say your roulettes in 14 or your dailies in WoW, you're generally doing these things with people you have literally met before, never met before, and you're never going to interact with ever again. Um I don't really know what I was going to add to that other than to <laughs> to. Oh, actually, no, I do remember what I was going to say, because you, you pointed out something with regard to sort of like, you know, the age difference between yourself and the other, you know, like kids that you would be like hanging out with or playing with. Well, like if you have the kids table, like at these larger family, I say family gatherings, but it could be like family and friends. Right. They're like, oh, yeah. like come over, bring your kids, etc. I would be at the kids table. Because I wasn't an adult and the adults wanted to talk about adult things, but I wasn't yeah. like a kid. Like I remember sitting at a table that quite literally was built for eight-year-olds and I am like in high school or like in late middle school or something, right? Yeah. It's a little and strange. And that, that was – so it's a little strange. And then – but when nighttime hit, like there was like – the kids would go to sleep, but then I was too young obviously to sleep or – go to a different room and watch whatever eight-year-olds watch, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I was in middle school. So then I'd have to play with the adults. It was like a very, I don't know. So gaming, right. That tabletop gaming aspect or card gaming that you would play with people was like always an aspect. I think of that. Well, the point up. that I was going to bring up is that like, it, it's a revealing example precisely because you bring with you certain like predetermined social relations like you know the fact that it's kind of awkward for a teenager to be playing with little kids but it's also kind of awkward for a teenager to be playing with fully grown adults and like those things then filter into the entire like game situation and, yeah, that's, and that's something why, yeah 
No, that's exactly why I was talking about like you play with people you know because I can't imagine just like logging onto Tabletop Simulator as an MMO and going yeah. like, man, I really want to play Mansions of Madness. So I'm going to get a, a pug and play Mansions <laughs> of Madness? Like, that's madness. I mean, I mean, theoretically, you could. Well, but no, yeah, you you're could, right. It's, right? It seems, but you're right. It seems very weird. And it's it sounds strange. And it sounds strange. I'm not, like, going to log into Arkham Horror to load up, like, a four-hour <laughs> game of Arkham Horror. Yeah, you see your I'm going I'm, I'm to do that now just to be weird. <laughs> I know. You're laughing. I'm laughing. And, like, I'm sure that there are sites out there that let people do that. And if you do that... This is not a judgment of you or your tastes or what you're comfortable with. This is just a general notion of consensus, right? That there is an established consensus within the greater norm that you don't play. (laughs) You don't play (laughs) these games. (laughs) You don't do that. That That is not done by one. I'm really glad that you brought up the issue of norms because the thing is like norms seem to have a stronger pull, a stronger sense of like governing how the entire like gameplay and game space are supposed to work because and, and I think that's really sort of like what I was starting to feel about the way a lot of people behave in online multiplayer situation because the norms they're not abolished, but they're kind of suspended during the period that you're playing online. Like you will eventually return to the norms of your daily life. But in that moment, I mean, possibly that's why it's, you know, satisfying for a lot of people because it provides an escape from those norms, but also possibly it contributes to a lot of, shall we say, toxic behavior that often has to be moderated and dealt with by community managers who don't sleep very well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, on that topic, now the podcast is over. And no, I'm kidding. Wow. Sorry, I can't really you. add anything to that. But I, I think that's – it's valid. It's very big to bring up though, right? Because I know that yeah. you really wanted to talk more about the differences, right, between designing an experience for that social aspect of tabletop gaming versus yeah. designing that experience for a video game, right? And you wanted to kind of dig into those. Yeah, so, so Lauren has rightly chastised me for being – a little bit too airy fairy in the way that I talk about things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posit a thesis. So I'm going to do what I often do for my students. I'm positing an idea and then we're going to work through this idea. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. So when Lauren and I were talking earlier, one of the things that I pointed out is that conventionally, so like historically or just like the way it happened to be over the course of time, tabletop games, which precede video games by, you know, thousands at least hundreds maybe thousands of years that over that period of time because of human culture and history and all of those things like certain conventions certain norms were created around the idea of how um like board games and card games and things of that nature are supposed to be developed and designed um and what's interesting is that the way in which those games are conventionally designed is that they take the social aspect for granted. So what does that mean? It means then that if you wanted to design, say, a single player tabletop experience, you actually have to think conscientiously about how to build that into the game, precisely because tabletop games conventionally or historically don't really take that into consideration. And then sort of the the inverse of that which is, in this case, video games being the inverse of that, 
video games historically and conventionally tend to prioritize single player experiences. And Lauren, you were even saying that even in the design of multiplayer experiences, like the single player experience is dominant and thinking about like the single player experience sort of takes precedence. Yeah. So like with that lovely intro, that is my lead way into my first point, which is like kind of supporting this thesis because as a prof- as a game developer, I have developed both multiplayer and single player experiences also simultaneously, which I do not recommend. Um, <laughs> but simultaneously, Lauren's life advice. <laughs> do, do Lauren's not. life advice. Hashtag Lauren's life advice. Do not recommend developing two different games at once with the same game title. Um, and I think for me, like, what I posit or what I talk about right now on this on this this podcast <laughs> is that when you design a multiplayer experience or maybe more largely when you are designing a video game experience for a single controller, right? And for yeah. a single human piloting that controller, there is a large aspect of individuality that that controller and that person controlling it, right, bring to the experience. So a lot of the design of multiplayer isn't about the actual multiple people playing it. It's actually about the interactions of the actions that the two controllers can take against each other. And so my kind of theory or my point for this would be, Probably, I mean, because we're doing this all ad hoc. That's how we do it here. Would be yeah. something along the lines of, in order to design a multiplayer experience in a video game, you have to design a really amazing single player or individual experience first. Because yeah. that individual experience of your game then allows you to actually create the multiplayer interactions that lead to a better multiplayer experience. Yeah. Versus when you are doing a tabletop game, you have to start at how all of those interactions and the game itself push onto the players. And so it's almost a weird kind of like um, it's it's a weird dichotomy where like I'm thinking more about the individual player when I am making a multiplayer game. Right. Like um, like I did a lot of I did some Unreal Tournament way old back in the day um back when you downloaded ut not not unreal engine um and no and i bring that up because like that is a multiplayer that was very much multiplayer right arena shooter Mm -hmm. um and so when i designed like some maps for that or i would just like copy paste and like do weapons and stuff it was not about um, it was all about the interaction of how like my waffle gun, because that's what I made, I shot waffles, <laughs> would would interact, right? And how would it would stick to the wall and what that environmental interaction would do. But like the map was a different piece, right? The gun was a different piece. Yeah. Right? These are just different pieces of a larger milieu. Versus yeah. if I was designing, um, I designed like a single flag, capture the flag game for a tabletop, Yeah. right? And this single wall will still capture the flag, right? Same as like you would have seen an arena shooter or the payload, right? In Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. In a tabletop game was more about the game and then having tons of choices and tons of like it had a movement sim- system similar to checkers. Basically that like how do you get to the flag with all of your pieces as a player versus right? like the game itself could exist without the players, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And then the social interactions that the players themselves brought to it is what made it a tabletop game. So I want to bring back a point that we made in actually the very first episode when we started talking about the very first episode in like in this series. 
And that's that we talked a lot about the way in which like something that is fundamental to tabletop games is the shared play space. And the reason why that's really important is because of what Lauren was just saying about sort of like the way video games are designed around a sort of single player experience. That's not hypothetical. That's actually material. I mean, because you talked about it in terms of like the controller, how controllers interface with other controllers through either network systems or, you know, people sitting next to each other on a couch. Whereas in this case, so you you have separate people manipulating separate devices. Whereas in the case of a tabletop game, you have multiple people manipulating the same, for lack of a better term, device. And that is the shared play space. And so even if you have even if you're talking about, say, like um, like deck builder games where like, you know, you have your Pokemon deck and I have my Pokemon deck, we're still manipulating a shared play space in a way that is fundamentally different from how you interact with the controller that connects to your console, that connects to other consoles, that connects to other controllers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, that's, that's actually very, very, like, that is very well worded. Like, I think that I made, like, I'm trying. this long-winded I'm trying to do better. point. <laughs> no, you're doing great because, like, honestly, so, like, point two is it's all about your single-player experience that adds on value to other players, right, in the yeah, video yeah. game world. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and then also, right, in MMOs, like, there's quests and there's, like, turn-ins and there's personal progression, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now... In tabletop gaming, when I look at personal progression, I really tend to think of those like Eurocentric games, kind of like Seven Wonders. Yeah. Right? Or like the city building games, because it's about like victory points. And yeah. so these victory points, I mean, man, even no, Formula D does not have victory points. Sorry. I was like trying to like go back into history of my brain of like all of these <laughs> games that I've studied. And I think that it all is about personal progression in tabletop gaming. Yeah. So this is almost, but the majority of tabletop gaming that we talk about when we think social, we're thinking of something that is maybe more cooperative versus competitive. It could be cooperative or it could be competitive. Cause like, I mean, so, okay, let's, let's move away from board like, games for a second. Let, let's talk about say like role-playing games, like tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. Let's move into role-playing games, which are maybe more cooperative well, I think they come because I think they combine elements of both. That's okay, why I wanted to move that. into that space. Because like the thing is, you know, if you are in a group, like let's say you know you have your your GM and maybe I don't know, like four people in a party, you know, like a classic like four player group. The thing is, like you, you know, your particular player character, like their backstory may be such that like at certain times they may want to sort of contribute and support the group's goals. But at other times, because of like what your your personal character is trying to achieve, you may be trying to subvert those goals as well and acting against them. So at the same time that you're cooperating under cer some circumstances, you may also be sort of like struggling against the sort of like group dynamic in other circumstances. And that's part of sort of the basic give and take of like a really well done session of a role-playing game. I mean, I mean, cause we talked about this when we talked about role-playing games in previous episodes, which is that like, you know, if you, if you take the Pathfinder model, the Pathfinder model can be kind of tedious precisely because it feels like you're playing a like video game role-playing game, but in a tabletop setting. Whereas if you're talking about sort of like, you know, the, the older games like, I don't know, Shadowrun or GURPS or D&D &D or Rollmaster or like 
insert whatever <laughs> like table like pen and paper game you want in those games their worlds also encourage you to think in sort of in areas of gray like it's not about like i am yeah. a good character therefore i do all of the good things it's more like i am a i'm playing a person and the person has conflicted motivations and so we'll take conflicting actions depending on the situation whereas board games kind since like they're more mechanically driven don't always allow for that they can build it into them but they tend not to so it actually sounds like this is a counterpoint that you're making where like role playing games tend to actually fall into more of a what we would consider multiplayer video game design philosophy where it's the interactions of those players and how they interact with one another that actually leads to a multiplayer element versus Because the game cannot exist, right, without those players. That is true, yeah. Versus a more mechanically driven board game, which can exist. Yeah. Now, I really like this point because a lot of modern multiplayer video games (laughs) have come out of the role-playing tabletop. Oh, yeah, directly out of. If not directly out of. Because a game that I wanted to bring up was Divinity Original Sin 2. Oh, that definitely comes directly. (laughs) And that definitely comes directly from it. But it was something that I was thinking about where that game could exist without the players, but is fundamentally an interesting kind of experience for me of not being a cooperative game in the beginning at all. Like, I do not have to work with my team. Now, my team eventually will like either kind of get forced along with me, if that makes sense, right? Because my team is... If I'm playing it with multiplayer, I played it with four players. So there was one for each of us. Yeah. Um, it is a four-player max co-op game, I guess. It's, it's a four-man, right, D&D party. Yeah, yeah. Um, or divinity party. And I think what's interesting is that we all had to, like, force each other to work together. And then yeah. there is a point in the game experience where now they're like, you guys are a team or are a group. And then, right? Uh, you know, spoilers, like not spoilers, it's in the trailer, you all fight for divinity or whatever, right? Yeah. And I think what's what's really fascinating is that they kind of made that meta experience of a PvEVP kind of game into like the narrative. And I'm not saying they did it well, but what I am saying is like it was like an academic example of yeah. this is a game where you don't have to play together, but you are. Now it's a game where we tell you you should play together. Psych, we promised it our marketing team that there was going to be a specific ending. And so now you have to do this. Lauren, stop begging on. (laughs) Lauren, I have been playing Baldur's Gate 3 since it came out in 2021. Do not sue me. (laughs) Sponsor us. (laughs) Lauren's like, look now, I bought it that week. Okay, I suffered through all of your (laughs) save state files. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can see I can see where it, it could be construed as a counterpoint. But let me let me <laughs> how about a counterpoint objection? Counterpoint Yeah, counterpoint. objection. <laughs> um no, I actually sort of like revise my earlier claim a little bit because I, I think you have pointed out a sort of an important flaw in what I was arguing. Okay, so the thing is like going back into sort of like the tabletop role playing setting, so the pen and paper role playing situation. The fundamental difference in sort of like that social... So, yes, you can reproduce that social situation in the context of a video game. 
I, I'm not disputing that at all. That is correct. Okay. But I think what is fundamentally different is that when you're talking about sort of especially like the recurring cycle of playing with a particular like group, especially with role playing games, the thing is, if you start to behave in a like antagonistic way that actually then starts to threaten not necessarily like the dynamic of the group in game but like the group of people that you play with the human beings like then you're going to invite all sorts of like weird sort of like metagaming situations where like the dm may have to talk to you to sort of like get you to like damp down on your toxic behavior like that is a kind of thing that like the video game version of that experience doesn't quite account for and so the and so like that's what i was that's what i meant earlier when i was saying like you bring your sort of pre-existing social circumstances to the game and then that sort of gets incorporated within them because you could also imagine a situation where like you know most of the time you know like when you and i are playing games with our friends or our family we're roughly like level with them in terms of like, you know, maybe our socioeconomic standing or whatever. But imagine playing a game like Munchkin with your boss. And especially like a boss who has like direct control over whether or not you continue to have a job. And sort of like, you know, you have a regular group and you're playing Munchkin every weekend. For those of you who don't know, Munchkin is a game that actively encourages people to screw each other over. And so what happens if like what happens in the game doesn't really stay in the game? It starts getting translated into, you know, your broader life. And in a situation where someone has like direct power over you, they may take certain things in stride. But they, if they're an asshole, <laughs> they might start to be petty about it. And so that's the that's the point that I was trying to make earlier about sort of the way in which like your pre-existing social circumstances get worked in in a way that. Maybe it's possible to actually simulate that or do that with a video game, but I think it's much harder. I think that that's an interesting, that is an aspect that I wasn't considering in your argument originally. Because I didn't say it. (laughs) Yeah, because you didn't say it. Thank you for, well, thank you for clarifying, because I think for me, that's the issue of, um, or that's the insight. That's the insight of recognizing that when you are playing a tabletop game, whether it is through tabletop simulator or in person, you are actually able to change player behavior in a way that a video game doesn't quite allow. And I think the game enables player behavior to change a lot more drastically. So for example, you were talking about how in like the DM could call you out on your bad behavior and go like, yo, man, I'm going to kick you from the group if you stop, if unless you stop being petty. Like, yeah. this is ridiculous. Or just outright, if your character tries to steal from another character, yeah. go, like, we said that, like, we are a good group here. Your characters are, like, lawful. There's not, they're not going to steal. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to go be chaotic now. Okay, fine. But no, like, you're not no, stealing from that group. Or like, there's going to be consequences for you. To, or there's going to be consequences, that. and also I'm going to kick you out. There we go, right? <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Like, depending on yeah. why the person yeah. is stealing, right? Exactly, it's yeah. because you're bringing that into it. Even in a game like Seven Wonders, where it's just about right living through each right first phase, second phase, and third phase yeah. of one of the seven wonders of the world, right? You're just yeah. kind of building up this empire. You don't actually 
really like inflict or antagonize others, but you do see different cards and those cards can be good or bad for you. And you can also see how many victory points or how many wonders, right, people are building. And so that's actually a way of you reacting to what other people are doing. And I was going to eventually, I was going to use this argument as kind of a, okay, like antagonistic, it's your personal progression argument. But what I'm actually realizing is that because I'm bringing myself to the game Seven Wonders, and Seven Wonders doesn't really need me, like doesn't know my background, but I'm able to use my background and use the psychology of the players that I see across the table. It has to be designed, right, as that tabletop game. And then if you were going to put it into like a board game about it, well, suddenly the rules and systems would just make it, right, civilization. Yeah. Like... It would just well, become a different and, game. And that's the thing. And, and you, you you hit the nail on the head because the thing is you're not just playing the game with a tabletop game. You are also playing the other players. And the thing is the degree of anonymity and sort of abstraction and sort of like social distance that exists within sort of like the, like the especially the online multiplayer experience. Like you, you don't really have that opportunity unless the people you're playing with or playing against are people that you happen to know for whatever reason. But the thing is like in the, in the case of a tabletop game, whether you're just playing like a hand of cards, whether you're just playing poker, like an ordinary game, like poker, you're almost always playing the other players. And in fact, the degree to which you play the game versus the degree to which like you can't even make that distinction. Like those two things combined are the game ultimately and it's not about playing the other players i think as a pvp game because yeah it's while some of those examples are pvp right it's not or like while seven wonders is pvp or while like Catan, i think is pvp or becomes pve when you're like hey we're actually going to gang up on this one person so they don't win and we don't care which one of us wins um i have a good i have i have a good real life example of the alternative in more cooperative setting you should give a good real life okay, example. Okay, go my, ahead and make your point. Yeah, my no, and now I'm now. I'm, oh no, I got it. So with tabletop gaming, it's not just about the PvP. I also want to emphasize the PVE slash PvP nature of it in a game like Pandemic or in a game like yeah. Arkham Horror that we've brought up. Because yeah. while it is like players versus the game, you're still not going to get that in something like Destiny Two. Because Destiny yeah. Two is still you are playing the game and the players are playing the game around you like with you or more like alongside you but their damage numbers right are theirs your damage numbers are yours but in a game like arkham or in a game like um pandemic where they choose to go on the map how they choose to deal with those monsters that directly affects you in a much more interesting way than even if like a pvp match in a multiplayer game because like you can blame other aspects of it well also there's a thing that so especially so lauren listed a number of fantasy flight games and this is something that is common in the games that they that they put out is that they i am just a big fantasy flight fan i think that like at the end of the day like i would like to reiterate that if fantasy flight now unfortunately owned by what that giant conglomerate that has bought all tabletop companies um wants to sponsor us we are more than happy to be be sponsored yes we are looking we should actually just market that as like an episode hi we are looking for sponsors Um, just go through the list so we have dr pepper we have fantasy flight anyway No, no, no. Anyway, please. So, okay. So, let's, yeah, yeah, roll into, yeah, your next example that that I was going to give. So, when my daughter was really young, um, 
we started buying these games that were for like pre-literate children. Um, and you know, so some of them were older games like Hi Ho Cheerio. Um, but then also there are companies that do sort of like pseudo educational slash like cooperative games that are designed around like building social bonds between parent and child, which I think is bullshit, but they're very fun games. So I didn't care about all that stuff. Um, one of these games is called Hoot Owl Hoot, which is a fun name, but the, the basic premise of the game is that you have six baby or like sort of baby owls and they're out at night and they get lost and then the game board is sort of the way it's arranged is that you have to sort of navigate the baby owls back to their nest before the sun comes up and the reason why this is a cooperative game is because it's designed around the assumption that a parent is playing it with a child or like some some older person is playing the game with a pre-literate child and so then the idea is that not only are the two of you or three of you or however many you're playing are cooperating to like play the game, but you're also constructing a particular social situation in which the older person is not just teaching the younger person how to play the game, but to how to play games writ large. In other words, the whole idea is that like through the playing of this game and games like it, you are learning the social rules that are common to all games. And it's reinforced, in, and this is something that we actually talked about in our previous episodes, is that like one of the best ways to learn how to play a tabletop game is to play it with people who already know how to play it. Because the social interaction and sort of the, the entire experience of working through it with other people, like that is, to me at least, a more effective way to learn it. But in this particular example, and the reason why I specifically use the example of a cooperative game is because it's also teaching a small child about like the nature of how you interact and support and share it's you know all these things all these like moral and ethical lessons that we that we ostensibly want to impart to little kids like that is built into the game as well it's also a fun game it's also a very cute game so if you you guys if no one's if you haven't played it i strongly recommend yeah i actually haven't played it so now i'm kind of like I don't know. I'm interested from that like academic or just honestly, like I say academic a lot. And I really just mean like keeping up with the the youths, keeping up with the, the game design, the, the youngins, <laughs> the youngins, the young, you and I, you know, I don't know, keeping up with like the latest kind of like how we teach games. Right. And how mm-hmm. we how we experience games for the first time, because so much of my career has kind of been about that first time user experience. And it's not because I, I've kind of fell into that because I came from a UX background and or, you know, if proto.io and app development, right, is all about yeah, the yeah. user experience. Like, how is this user going to use your app to insert things into a spreadsheet and then view that data in a very pleasing way? Right. Like, yeah. it was kind of that's very boring. It sounds as boring as I made it sound. But I was like, OK, this button is shaped like a heart. This button is shaped like a circle. And this triangle spins around to let them know that something has happened. Like, but it's that first time user experience, right? It's that first learning that yeah. is huge in video games that we don't really look at be- at the beginning of the game process because we, I mean, we don't know what the game is, right? Yeah. But when it comes to like hoot owl hoot, I'm like, <laughs> I love that name. So I'm it is a great name, it. actually. Whoop. Yeah. Hoot owl hoot. Owl hoot. <laughs> um, when it comes when it comes to the that beautiful game, I think for me, what's interesting is like how do they 
like that many levels of meta are kind of like what we're going to need to look at into the future of gaming, especially with so many going into mobile, right? Yeah. So many being on, they're just more accessible. There'll probably be TV games at some point, right? Like straight to TV, just like straight to DVD. Yeah. And I think like that'll be really interesting too. Like, I don't know. And that's just, that's, that's my, that's my like little, I guess, end of podcast rant here accidentally. Sorry about that. But it's just, it's fascinating to me because it's how do you teach something um, and how do you learn it so that you can kind of repeat it over and over again? Yeah. And I think with that, we will come to a close for this free episode. For those of you who want to follow us, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We are um, at Fudidashi Pod. Lauren is at the Lauren Ash. I am at Academicality. Um, Lauren, this is a really fantastic episode. We also have a Patreon, and we are going to be continuing this conversation in greater detail. The Patreon episodes are also the ones where we tend to be a little bit more theoretical than normal. So if that's your thing, definitely go to patreon.com forward slash foodidashi. Sign up for $5 a month and you get all of the bonus episodes as well. But with that, I think we will leave the fine folks and we will talk to you again next time. Bye.